0: and get you while while he was doing it got it did we just start recording yeah got and it. we're live oh bummer okay <laughs> no. the whole intro about Rick Doblin and maps well multidisciplinary association for psychedelic studies mm-hmm. I, that's i mean it's good well let's let's go
1: back into it um, so today uh, welcome to solid ground live stream monday may 8th and our topic today, we're talking about woke psychedelics. What is it? Queering psychedelics, and what that means. And 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 uh, Jody's got some interesting stuff. Do you want to do
0: an intro to Solid Ground first, Jody?
1: Or do you want to just leap oh into? Oh gosh,
0: it? Solid Ground. Yeah, I'll just do it off the seat of my pants. So Solid Ground is a community, a peer-to-peer support community. It is not psychotherapy. It is not legal advice. But it is just ordinary citizens coming together and talking to each other about their experiences with woke ideology and or COVID mandates and authoritarianism in general. And uh, there are four peer facilitators that run four groups per week. and you can come and meet other people who have concerns about critical social justice and/ or COVID mandates because I believe I and the other facilitators believe that that is the most powerful thing we can do is help people find each other because um, part of the goal is to separate us. And so, yeah, if you join us, you could just go to solidgroundsupport.com, solidgroundsupport.com and there will be instructions there for how to join. It's $5 a month and you can come to as many meetings as you want or as few meetings as you want. That's it. That's awesome.
1: Yeah. Great. Now, you were just talking, we were talking about MAPS and what that is. And I think the first thing I thought when I heard that was the minor attractive person thing, but it's actually a psychedelic uh, organization of some kind. What's the acronym stand for? Yeah,
0: I'll say it again. It's the um, Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies.
1: That's an unfortunate crossover, that acronym.
2: Hmm.
1: Well, I
0: I think the the psychedelic- The MAP is not the territory, Leslie.
1: (laughs) Well- uh, you know, this is kind of, it's interesting. It's like this queer theory is kind of getting into everything. And this just seems to be one more area. So it's every, every, um, every discipline seems to have a little bit of this right now, to some extent, but this one seems particularly insidious. And so Jody, what, what brought this to your attention? Well,
0: <laughs> well, I think about the psychotherapeutic relationship a lot. And about because I've had my own very kind of intense experiences with it and with providers, and I think about the power dynamic and mm-hmm. how one person is being paid to facilitate the therapy of another person, and there you they have different roles. Like one person doesn't talk so much about themselves, and the other person does, and like there's there could be transference, and all these things happen behind a closed door, and so the potential for healing is very very great but so too is the potential for abuse and so that's why it's partially why we started solid ground was um and and leslie you made your video like on the fact that now this relationship which is already has the potential for abuse is now being infiltrated with this ideology in which psychotherapists are being instructed to educate their patients that the trauma they've experienced or the things they've come into therapy for are actually influenced by these greater systems of power and privilege and even if the patient doesn't agree like that the therapist is being told you know well you know to condescend and say well yes actually that's not true your trauma isn't as great as you think because you're white or your trauma is actually a lot worse than you think because you're not white and those that's already extremely problematic given the relationship but now i've been watching this whole time on the side this legalization of psychedelics and rick doblin's work at maps with a mixed mixed feelings on the one hand i do think that psychedelics are very powerful they're they're much they're much different class of drugs than the other drugs like for me there's two two classes of drugs there's there's mind shrinking drugs and i would put alcohol cocaine heroin those kinds of drugs into that category, and then there's mind expanding drugs, which are the psychedelics, like LSD, mushrooms, ecstasy, so, ecstasy uh, DMT, so on and so forth. And so I've been watching with great interest Rick Doblin's work in tra- doing um, trying to legalize psychedelics for research and the the broader legalization movement in general here in Northampton, plant medicine has been decriminalized so people can grow and actually I think even disseminate mushrooms. I'm not a lawyer, but mushrooms are considered plant medicine. And that that's a very powerful we can get into the history of psychedelics and why they were even made why they were even criminalized in the first place, um, just because they're so powerful. So I've been watching with great interest this movement to legalize. With great concern and never mind the woke stuff. Like, I've always been very, very concerned about somebody feeling I can understand the need to have a guide or a trip sitter, but um, now this movement to professionalize psychedelics and the use. And for people that you can't just call up um, a friend or this underground guide that you've heard word of mouth and that's going to come and help you have your experience. But now, you have to use somebody who has a license and who's certified by the state. And you're going to look somebody up in a phone book, and that person has a, um, a degree in psychotherapy, and they're going to f- help facilitate using their knowledge they learned in their master's degree program. Like, that's already very concerning to me <laughs> because the potential for abuse is so great already in psychotherapy. Now, you add psychedelics in, and all of the therapists own shit and that it just sounds like a disaster. And now we're adding the atomic bomb of woke ideology, which psychotherapists are being instructed to use in behind closed doors. And and you add the potential for abuse, it's it's almost like brainwashing times a thousand percent. Anybody who's ever done psychedelics knows the state, power, part of their power is that it puts you in a very, um, Valuable. I think at their, malleable, yeah, or suggestible. You you basically have the ego of a three-year-old, which is to say you don't have an ego, right? Like if, if you're ingesting large amounts, like you're very suggestible, you're very open. And that's part of the power of psychedelics. Is you, you can you can connect very easily to source or God or the universe or whatever it is that it's a very spiritual experience. So to be in that kind of state in the hands of a guide who has gone to school to get a master's degree. In psychotherapy and is infiltrate is now infiltrated with all this woke stuff to now be in a room with that person and to have them in basically it's like open mind insert do, insert indoctrination here close mind. I am appalled i'm completely appalled i've been well, watching all things happen and i'm terrified
2: have there been any studies or do we have any like evidence of this happening or what what to what extent a um substance such as some sort of psychedelic substance does open you up to actual brainwashing is there research have you gone into all that caa stuff to see to what extent it actually works or not because if the ideas are bad maybe they just kind of like just poop them out the next day like some sort of brain fart or something right
0: i don't know know they stick isn't there a lot of CIA stuff from the sixth? Isn't that partially why they were banned? Because because they were so powerful?
3: Well, they were trying I to use them. I should have looked it up. I edited a book on mushrooms, I just, like maybe in 2004. And I should have looked at my notes before then. But I don't know. I don't know if they were trying to do it for mind control. I don't know how successful they were. But I think the whole notion that one was doing that at all was, you know, like this is a bad idea. I do wonder if the substances wouldn't allow it. Like that's getting a little woo out there, but I do wonder if you're on a journey and there's some integrity to the journey that it it but that's you oh. didn't, we didn't want to test it, right? <laughs> or something.
1: That's interesting.
3: I, I just I have a curiosity about that. Like I wonder if, you know, somehow your your higher whatever would but this is a such speculation on my part.
2: Jody, when did you dose? Are you like uh, 20, 30 minutes ago? Like, when is I it going to hit? Yeah, it was literally just... like 45 <laughs> minutes ago. Okay, why don't we do I'm a struggle session? I'm on the come up right now. Let's do a struggle session and see, see what happens on the other end of it.
1: <laughs> well, in terms Jody, of, of research on changing minds, you know, they, they, have shown that um, giving psychedelics to terminally ill people can really help them to come to terms with their death, and it can make long-lasting changes in people's lives if they've been depressed. So it really does seem to have the power, or these 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 chemicals or, or drugs do seem to have the power to make long-lasting change in people's attitudes and and feelings. And and what you said, Jody, is spot on about therapy because it's really been turned into a profession of activists who are are trained to get people to change the way that they interact with the world and see the world. It's not about helping that individual find their own change, their own path. It's about you know remaking people in this social justice sort of cookie cutter mindset. So I, it, it, I, I spoke with a, um, a counselor recently who had done this training, the MAPS training, and had I was really surprised to hear how woke it was.
0: It oh really surprised God. me.
1: And it's like, maps is
0: woke, really. well, I don't know if it's
1: maps specifically, but she had done this training, this type of like, she's licensed to do um, psychedelic assisted therapy. And w- during the conversation, um, she was talking about how it's like, um, they're really, the queering part is like, be, they, they make people feel terrible about uh, cultural appropriation for using certain substances that outside of like their traditional uses oh and stuff. So that's, okay. but you know, I don't, I don't know if there were, I don't remember hearing anything about using them in order to open people for the purpose of, you know, social justice activism. But if they're being trained in that way, of course, that's going to infuse everything that they do with their clients. So
0: setting right, right, the
3: set and setting. Yeah.
0: Yeah. If you're being trained as a psychotherapist that, that woke is like, the lens social justice lenses through which you should see everything and now you go and you get your certificate in psychedelic assistance therapy danger 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 i want to read this quote that i found from Ooh. dennis mckenna do you guys know who dennis mckenna is terrence mckenna terrence. like the father terence's yes. Ter- brother right is dennis dennis is his brother yeah mm-hmm. so okay. dennis says Quote, no wonder psychedelics are threatening to an authoritarian religious hierarchy. You don't need faith to benefit from a psychedelic experience, let alone a priest or even a shaman to interpret it. What you need is courage courage to drink the brew, eat the mushroom, or whatever it is, and then pay attention and make of it what you will. Suddenly, the tools for direct contact with the transcendent other, whether you call it God, or something else is taken from the hands of an anointed elite, otherwise known as psych- psychotherapist, <laughs> and given to the individual seeker. Dennis McKenna said that. And this came up in my solid ground group last week. And one person pointed out, and I don't wanna dismiss anyone who wants to have a guide or a trip sitter, um, because I think that's completely up to the individual. But if if you are afraid to take a substance without having someone else there, and, and Deborah, I mean, you might have something different to say about this, then you might want to question whether or not you're ready to do that. Because part of the experience is, and I know we're going much deeper than where we started here, but part of the experience is that you it's a direct experience. And then I mean what what happened with the native Mexicans was that you know, the Spaniards came in and said, you have to stop doing these mushroom ceremonies because the Catholic church is the only intermediary between you and hmm. God. This has been happening for.
2: There was a bunch years. of human sacrifice too. just the, the, the whole, there was a big cultural <laughs> shift in that whole thing. So, so it wasn't just the mushrooms that were outlawed.
3: Like well, was the, the Aztecs? I don't know. Somewhere right there.
2: But okay, so, so you bring up a good question to what To what degree do we need some sort of mentorship or expertise, and to what degree do we lose out if we just say, you know I'm going I'm to go on my own way? I mean, is there not a transmute uh, tra- transportation of knowledge, of you know, ancestor expertise? There? I think how do how do, we, how do we I balance think... the need for a mentor, yeah. somebody that's greater than me with my own agency, my own exploration?
0: I think it's good to have a mentor personally that's just personally me I was just relaying something somebody said but I don't like that that mentor using these ancient substances that have been around forever right since the dawn of humanity um needs to be anointed by the state by this like by a legislature you know what I mean like People know how to people, there are experienced people who know how to do this. You just need to find them. And that's part of the journey. That's just the real
3: lineage. You want the real lineage, right? not this sort of like administrative bureaucratic. I'm not the stamp now, right? You really have it coming down from, you know, passed on from families or this wisdom, you know, from an authentic place, it sounds like.
2: But how how do you contact somebody with true expertise in a world filled with strangers? Doesn't the bu- bureaucracy come in because there's so many people we need to like very efficiently. Yeah, we we need to like efficiently like the
0: record labels, right?
2: Yeah, we need to efficiently understand if somebody's, you know, on board or not on board and, you know. So I understand the need for those things, but without those things, without those regulatory bodies, without that stamp of approval, without accreditation, how do you know you can trust this person? I guess you have to look at their CV or something. They have to have a reputation.
0: Right? You have to talk to them. Like how much do you trust yourself, I guess, right? And how much do you wanna do this? I mean, some people, I mean, I don't know if you wake up and you decide, I wanna do LSD tomorrow and you, you start going calling people on the phone, like it feels like maybe you maybe should take a couple years to and make this your purpose for the next couple of years that you're going to find that person and and really like that's a whole different kind of feeling than just like i'm going to look on the internet and find somebody to help me do lsd tomorrow Like that's a whole different experience than taking two years to kind of get the word out and wait and and meet people and then meet somebody else okay
2: and- when's the last time you waited two years to take a psychedelic drug <laughs> <on>? <laughs> they're either there on the porch with you or they're not
3: <laughs> you're assuming a certain no yeah i mean to some extent the the where people don't have their own maturity it might be the anointed person that can weed them out and go um i don't think you should be doing this even though you think you should so yeah uh,
2: so, Deborah, you mentioned something called set and setting. Can we pretend that we don't know what we're talking about here, at least that I don't know what we're talking about here? And and let's set, set up is... a proper, like a proper conceptualization of this thing we call a trip.
3: Yeah, I, you know, I, I I throw that word out like I know a lot about it. So you, the rest of you, please chime in. I think it's just, you know, doing something in an environment where there is probably some safety or some, you know, there, there's there's at the very least, if it was a therapist, okay, we're in The office, it's quiet. People aren't going to barge in. Um, We're going to let you lie on a comfortable couch. Um, You have nice music in the headphones. Um, You won't be interrupted. Um, We're not going to, that's the thing where I think having an agenda would throw off set and setting because it seems that it should be minimally stimulating, right? It should be minimally anything going into your experience other than something that makes you feel basically safe and quiet. And your body's not going to be disturbed. Um, You could do it. Yeah. Or, or, (laughs) or you could do something in a ritual sense, right? That would be a different when you're doing a heavily spiritual intention. Right. And then you might have the accoutrements of the shaman person who shows up with some sort of thing. And maybe you're doing some certain preliminaries that give it some sort of sacred quality. And that might, that would be an interesting study to see if people have different trips, depending on were you in the office with the the therapist or were you, you know, did you go to Peru? Um, And with, I don't know with this kind
1: of work, there's not only the work of sitting with someone through their, their experience, but there's also the work of reintegration afterwards and integrating what they experienced. And that seems like a place where the most um, like social justice or, or ideology um, feeding could, could, take place because you're then helping somebody to understand what it means what did it mean what you went through and what you thought and felt and if your guide or the person that you're doing that kind of integration work with is is ideologically biased and trained to to uh spread this then that would be their opportunity Hmm.
2: so do we have any examples of how uh like so-called wokeness uh, inserts itself into therapy broadly. Thinking, have you guys seen studies or seen like how you do that, how one goes about doing that, making a woke therapy session?
1: Well, yeah, there's like the, <clears throat> one of the big ones is race broaching, you know?
2: Race Talking, broaching.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's okay. this, this idea where you talk to your client about race. You're supposed to do this. You know, when I was in graduate school, we were trained to do this early on, like when you're Mm -hmm. first in the first session or two, you're supposed to talk to them about their race, what it means. And and this is like right off the bat. It's almost like intake work with this person is what, what is your, what was your racial identity development like? And it's this, it's, it's cringe. (laughs) Yeah. It's really, really bad. (laughs) Yeah. But that's an example. And, and there's a lot of work around that. Mm -hmm wasn't well, there the racial identity salience model? making them more salient yeah. yeah what's the model
0: is that what it's called like the there's a different model of psychological health or development based on what race you are
1: oh yeah there's like, sl- like
0: i've seen this like if you're white it's like mm-hmm. the the, ulti- the like you've reached a state of mental health when along with your mental health, you've also yes. achieved oh, this ability okay. to to recognize your white privilege and your your fragility versus yep. your, your I'm non-white. Gonna... There's a different racial identity model of, of psychological development. I'm gonna grab a
1: book. You guys okay. talk amongst your... <laughs> She's grabbing and books. Then, you
0: know, I heard um somebody saying I think it was Jen about how maybe I shouldn't repeat the story. But basically, I'll be very general It was a story about somebody went to therapy for trauma. And it was a very, very horrific trauma, interpersonal trauma. And the therapist informed the person that their trauma wasn't as bad as they felt or believed it was because they're white. And that was that's basically in my book, a re trauma, it's basically complete invalidation. Yeah, that's right. And there are like so, all these different models
1: of racial identity development and what it means to be a white person going through the stages of coming um, to terms with race, according to these wow. things. This is Who a, made
2: these things up?
1: Well, this guy, in part. This is Daryl, <laughs> Daryl Wing Sue.
0: We did. <laughs> and yeah, Sue. He
1: did. This guy. This is the Human textbook. Being. <laughs> yeah. This was a textbook used in my counseling program. And it's crazy or it's gonna take me a minute to find this but i'll find it i'll come back in
3: i don't imagine this has been empirically tested either right
1: oh and there's nothing empirical about any of it (laughs) it's It's, not yeah yeah it's
3: come
0: on deborah i know i'm saying the
3: obvious i'm saying the obvious
0: yeah
3: empiricism that's
2: Well, so if, if it's if it's okay. just made up, right? If, if these like stages of racial development are made up and you try to implant them into somebody's imagination, like are they going to stand up? Even if they are malleable or suggestible in a suggestive state, if these things just don't Here, make any sense.
0: Here's what I see. I see instead of somebody just being like coming out of an, an acid trip with one of these woke therapists and being like, oh my God, I'm if you're white, like I'm such a racist, I need to do X, Y, and Z. Like I see a lo- whole lot of fucking conflict, like increased, increased conflict, increased maybe depression. Again, I'm not, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a mental health practitioner, but mm-hmm. because it's false and because it doesn't make sense and because it's not true. I see a whole lot of poor mental health outcomes basically.
2: Yeah. Well, you brought up, oh, Leslie, are you going to, you're going to break us down? Can you, can you describe my, where I am at in my racial reckoning uh, quotient?
1: <laughs> well, here's is a, there like
2: a, a test you can do?
1: This is a seven-step process of white racial identity development. And so okay. white Americans go through this apparently. Do we
2: start as Nazis or do we end up as Nazis? And what direction (laughs) are we walking on this?
1: What says we encourage whites to use this information to explore themselves as racial cultural beings and to think about their implications for work with culturally diverse clients. Number one is the naivete phase. This phase is relatively neutral with respect to racial cultural differences. Its length is brief and it's marked by naive curiosity about race um between the ages of three and five however the young white child begins to associate positive ethnocentric meanings to his or her own group and negative ones to others so this is this is being taught to counselors like this is this is what your your counselor is learning okay
2: and so by white they mean everybody of european descent around the world if they're in china or if they're in south africa or if like they're in brazil
1: well this says white americans so maybe okay. they're maybe they are at least being a little bit
0: specific. Okay. Like Puerto Rican Jew, would that be like white? <laughs>
2: white enough.
0: White ish. Mm. Whiteish. Whiteish. White-ish. White adjacent.
1: Yeah. Um, and then they have like these little terrible vignettes that are, I'm not even going to read this. Oh, like so.
2: anecdotes? Yeah. Vignettes? Like I, my my child was sitting down okay. on a park bench. And, okay.
1: okay. I will read it because it's just <laughs> awful. Okay. this The following passage describes one of the insidious processes of socialization that leads to propelling the child into the conformity stage. Okay. It was a late summer afternoon. A group of white neighborhood mothers, obviously friends, had brought their four and five-year-olds to the local McDonald's for a snack and to play on the swings and slides provided by the restaurant. They were all seated at a table watching their sons and daughters run about the play area. In one corner of the yard sat a small black child pushing a red truck along the grass. One of the white girls from the group approached the black boy and they started a conversation. During that instant, the mother of the girl exchanged quick glances with the other mothers who nodded knowingly. She rose from the table, walked over to the two, spoke to her daughter and gently pulled her away to join her previous playmates within minutes however the girl again approached the black boy and both began to play with the truck at that point all the mothers rose from the table and loudly exclaimed to their children it's time to go now and so this is being presented in a book for counselors okay but it pisses me off this pisses me off so much this is normal this is supposed to be like every white family does this with their kids
2: Okay. But, but there's more than one interpretation of that event. Like what was the, where was the parents of this child, this black child? Like what were the interactions with that? And did somebody just make up this story or was this yeah, kind of on camera? It's
1: just made up. It's Sue. Gerald oh. Wing Sue, so he just makes up these stupid anecdotes and puts them all in his book. And then you're supposed to think, oh, wow, white people really suck. <laughs>
3: It's usually a lot of mind reading. I went through some DEI training and you know exercises of so and so does this and the interpretation is and the interpretation is always the worst possible
1: uh okay.
3: story you could make with no instruction of maybe ask the other person, you know, intent, like ask them what was going on. It was like, "No, we know. We know what was going on there."
0: Okay. Well, that's and the so- model of microaggressions, right? Like intent doesn't matter anyway, so we're not going to yeah. ask intent because Mm -hmm. we know
2: so with uh, did you did you look into this queering the queering the mushroom or whatever they call uh uh, because i'm I'm of the mind that the racial stuff is already super cringy and it's kind of falling out of fashion after 2020 they really blew, blew their wad but the gender stuff is much more salient to a lot of people because we are like it or not very you know sexed creatures and stuff so queering is is uh, it's got a longer shelf life than this white fragility stuff um, in my mind. So how would it be the case that one would um, be indoctrinated into queer theory via these seminars? Let's see, or Deborah, Jody? have you guys seen any of the queering of psychology and how that stuff takes place?
1: Well, I was reading an article about it this morning, um, the, the queering psychedelics thing. And it's just, it's more of the, we need separate spaces for the, for,
2: for queer folk. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And so So that was mostly what they're focusing on.
2: They don't want to make more queers. They want to set them apart, like some sort of cast.
1: Well, and they're also trying to specifically aim to train queer people of color to do this work. And so by queer people of color, they don't just mean someone who happens to be a person of color who also happens to be gay. They mean people who are, are of this. This ideological ilk, you know this mindset yeah, yeah.
2: Mm-hmm. okay
3: I think they, they make a link to it too because I see this link a lot like quite often in tro, you know in uh you know tribes where there is shamanic practices it is quite often the person's the shaman might be um might be um gay or have some other identity or have and so there, I think there's this matching up of the sacred the sacred otherness of the shaman and then in kind of making queerness into some sort of
2: yes.
3: really specially sacred vehicle and so i yes. think there may be a way that mm. they're like oh finally like this is our place like mm. we can take this psychedelic thing and this is our realm because we have mm. this special gift of being yeah. <laughs> this other thing or something mm. uh-huh. interesting
2: uh opens up the question of hermaphrodism in shamanic practices or or if if there are cultures where the shaman or the sacred one is usually somehow outside of the sexual binary or at, at odds with it in some way, shape or form. Um, because if you are outside of that, and I see a lot of the aspiration or some of the aspiration for um, gender medicalization is to escape. It's not even to, to to get away from, you know, to to become a man if you're a woman or to become a woman if you're a man. But there's this like, there's this aesthetic just trying to escape trying to get into peter pan trying to get into beyond uh the sex beyond puberty and you see that a little bit too with the munchie moms the munchausen moms like where they're trying to, to liberate their child they're very gifted very special child from maturity from from death right from from being you know, chained to family they can sit outside of society and then bring us knowledge then we bring up the indigo children uh, recently, uh, the last what are the I was, Indigo been,
0: Children? There was this big—I
2: think it was on Oprah or something. There was, there was this big like hubabaloo about like the, this next generation, probably like the millennials or Gen Z, were going to be the Indigo Children, and they're going to come from some sort of other plane of existence and bring up humanity to the next thing, um, mm-hmm. to the next level. So you know, psychedelics already lend oneself to shamanic practices, to magical thinking, and put gender in the mix and you got a bunch of gooey mushroom-like kind of infinite sexuality don't mushrooms have like 32 like different kinds of like chroma sex chromosomes or something Yeah, mushrooms
0: are not they're not sexed Mm -hmm. they're not even plants really they're fruiting bodies
1: of mycelium yeah
0: yeah they're mycelium okay <laughs> they're not they're they are kind of out it really
2: sensual really quick fruiting well, bodies that, well that's
0: what that's Myc- what the mushroom is it's <laughs> okay. the mycelium
1: yeah. is actually the that sounds the really
0: queer
2: yeah
1: there's mycelial networks all underground there's so much mycelium underneath of us in fact i think mm-hmm. the biggest living creature yeah. on the planet is a fungus in oregon is that right
2: it, it, yeah it's, it's it ties this aspen forest together yeah. something
0: right yeah they, and this
1: is how the trees
0: communicate too trees actually
1: communicate to each other through mycelium yeah a dioxide.
0: lot of people speculate that's the mushroom is that like the mushroom we call it the, the fruiting body is just mm-hmm. like a, a very temporary small part of mm-hmm. the actual mushroom is the mycelium is the the thing
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah. yeah and it's neither animal nor plant it's its own thing <laughs> and it,
0: it breathes oxygen not carbon dioxide oh mm-hmm. i didn't know that part that's interesting. Yeah. So it's not a, it's not a plant. It's different.
3: There's a sweet (laughs) movie Paul Stamets has on Netflix on mushrooms. Have you seen it? Yeah.
0: Fantastic
1: fungi.
3: Yeah. Fungi or whatever.
2: Fantastic fungi facts you want to drop, Deborah?
3: I'm not remembering it. I'm just remembering all the pretty, all the sprouting.
1: (laughs) It's beautiful. It's really pretty. Yeah. (laughs) Lots of time-lapse photography. So you can watch them watch the mushrooms go through all the stages of development
3: i am trying to so, remember that there are some substances that people talk about having more of a masculine quality and a fe- like ayahuasca people tend to say that they have way more of the feminine and it feels like a feminine spirit I don't know if it's peyote or what feels more masculine but it feels like the journey sort of diff- i don't is know because like, i haven't done them
0: hmm. or like lsd and mushrooms a lot of people lsd f- feels more masculine versus the or
2: more masculine. mental was more part, feminine uh, or or, or digital
0: versus analog. Yeah.
1: Mm. Like oh gosh, ketamine was so digital versus to me. Oh. I us yeah, okay, is let's a
2: more part of the show where we all get oh. into our trips.
1: <laughs> well, I didn't I didn't take ketamine recreationally. I had it injected. It by into accident, me. right? Well, I was <laughs> I was in the hospital. I didn't inhale. Yeah. No, no, I was in the hospital <laughs> and it was given to me as a as a painkiller because I was in a lot of pain and painkillers weren't weren't um doing the trick. And so the nurse came in and just shot me with ketamine didn't really prepare me for what that was going to be. And I, uh, it was like the most terrifying five minutes of my entire life. It was so scary. And it was everything was squares. It was these boxes. and i It was this bizarre experience. I thought I was dead. And um, afterwards, I told the nurse that I was that I had trauma bonded to her. It was like the Stockholm syndrome thing where she was this evil, horrible person. And now I wanted her to be my friend. It was a bizarre experience
2: how did you guys work that relationship out did she just kind of ghost you
1: uh she a was a real jerk but i like i it was a, I had a real weird um like huh. desire to be connected to her after
0: that's a good example was, yeah there you fair. go of like huh. what could happen what could go i mean wrong? she had been
1: horrible she'd been <laughs> such a jerk the whole time and um yeah bad bad nurse and then even up to injecting me with a substance that she didn't tell me about until i was already tripping on it um but i afterwards i was like can we be friends <laughs> it's mm. very weird mm. i'm
0: sorry that happened to you
1: thanks i don't know how people get I, I i don't get how ketamine is a useful substance after that but i guess it, it must be because it's well, being it's used, an used really widely
0: oh, using it it's mm-hmm. an anesthetic it's a great anesthetic because you don't have to monitor your breathing or heart rate. Like it was used in the Vietnam war. Like you can use it on battlefield. Like anybody mm. can administer it. It has a very low, it's, it's very hard to overdose on it. I'm not a doctor, but, <laughs> but it's great for like wartime Cause you don't need an anesthesiologist basically like you, you can, you can cut somebody's limb off
3: and wow. they're, out. they don't
0: feel it, but you don't, there's yeah. no danger of their respiration. mm mm-hmm. of of them expiring from lack of respiration or heartbeat or anything like that yeah Yeah, it's kind of like a miracle a miracle drug in that sense
1: well if you think you're dead then you're not really feeling pain you're just outside (laughs) of your body
0: (laughs)
2: jeez louise
1: i thought i was dead
2: so so leslie in the wake of that do you feel like you were kind of for like a period of like i don't weeks, days, months in a suggest- suggestible state or kind of like popped out of yourself and like having to reconfigure reality after having such a harsh feeling of deadness or square land?
1: Oh, maybe. Um, I think I still yeah. am a little bit weird after that. I think yeah. maybe I was So weird it kind before, of but, initiated like yeah.
2: a process of like redefining your relationship to reality.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I had aftershocks of it for a long time. I would have just like, it would, I could close my eyes and kind of go back there. And it really had, um, a you know, uh, it, it had a profoundly negative effect on me because it made me so much more afraid of death. It was, uh, I mean, I, I guess a bad trip, you know? So they say those can really stay with you. Didn't you have
0: another I don't know if you want to talk about it here, so forgive me, but <laughs> didn't you have another experience that had nothing to do with substances, but it was an experience, was, was that before or after this? After. I had a main injection.
1: After. Yeah, I had actually two. I had, okay. I had one It was like, I think of it as like a mini epiphany. And then I had a full, what feels like a full epiphany. And I know this sounds really weird, but they were really profound experiences to me. And it was after that. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And substance-free. Unless you count water.
2: Uh, Mm -hmm.
3: I'll go ahead, mentoring.
2: Oh, I was just going to follow up on that. Do you feel like you would have benefited from somebody to talk you through this who had expertise, or do you feel up to the task of interpreting these profound experiences for yourself, Leslie?
1: Um, You know, I, I like to talk about them with people who are interested in talking with me. I think it's really, I like to verbally process. So it's really helpful to have somebody to talk with. Um... I, I kind of, I'm kind of with Jody on it though, about whether I'd go to somebody licensed and, and hmm. certified. I don't know that that's necessarily the most helpful combination of things for this. So just having good friends is a great way to process stuff like this. And, um, so yes, in a way, does that answer the question?
2: i was just trying to bring it back to the role of mentorship or mm-hmm. uh, malleability I and mean, being able to interpret is- your own.
0: Maybe it's more about trust, like, like, or how we interpret trust, like you trust a friend and that feels like you trust them for a reason. Like you, you've you been yeah. friends for a while and then perhaps in this realm, like this person has had their own experiences maybe, and you trust them to be able to talk with you in a certain way and elicit, bring yeah. out certain things and you like there's trust. But then there's like looking somebody up in the phone book because they have letters after their name. Like, yeah. do you trust somebody just because of that? Like, if, is that supposed to, it's almost like we're supposed to trust. That's like the state telling you, oh, you can trust this person because they have, we have, yeah. we have overseen that they deserve these letters after their name. And yeah. that's. Well, a somebody, diff-
2: like, so the, I think you're, you're, you're bringing up something kind of interesting about um you know, different levels of, well, the relationship between trust and authority. Now we trust our friends, but not because they have authority in any given uh, realm, other than that we have developed some sort of rapport and maybe we keep on being friends with them because they understand how to help us process or witness us or, or ask us questions right there. But a doctor, a coach, a licensed professional counselor or something like that, has an authority that's tagged on and insofar as the regulatory bodies that bestow that authority are corrupt or incorrupt, trustworthy or untrustworthy, then we can trust or not trust the authority um, and then the authoritative figure.
1: Yeah, really that certification is just a shortcut. It's just like a shortcut that that says um, here, they're stamped with this, they did this thing. So, yeah. but it, at the end of the day, it's only as meaningful as you find whatever they did in order to achieve that to be because the person underneath of that is still just a person that you would have to establish a relationship with in order to know how much you really want to put faith in them whatever that might be so word of mouth
0: yeah which goes back to catholic church right Mm -hmm. like oh this person has access to god because well they're, they're a priest
2: to to, count, to push back on that, you have the ca- Catholic Church that bestows authority on the priests, but outside of the Catholic Church, you just have char- charismatic individuals that have that aren't vetted by anything other than their personal magnetism, and that's why you have, in the wake of Protestantism, especially in America, cult after cult after cult after cult after cult, after cult because there's no, no. central authority. I'm not
0: talking about cults. I'm talking about friends challenges. versus, versus yeah. just a friend, right? Like that yeah. you that you actually trust.
2: And and yeah. I'm just just breaking through different kinds of authority figures; those who are certified and those who are self-certified, or who, uh, through either you know char- char- charisma or a good track record, pull people toward them. Um, so mm-hmm. just just being anti-authoritarian or anti-bureaucracy doesn't save you from the fact that people do acquire power. Um,
3: yeah, there's and, a, there's a oh sorry there's uh, an article I put on the platform that Frank Ferrady wrote recently on authority and. It's really. I wish I could remember it well because because it, it, he even had the authority wasn't, oh, because I'm invested with some, it was something about the being of the person in some sense, as opposed to some, like I have some rulemaking sort of thing. Because I, I sit here and as I think about this, I think I would want, I would, if I, I've said it, if I did, I'd probably have some really difficult integration and I would want people who knew what the hell to do with that. Like, I don't think my friends would know what to do with it. Um, and so, where is that? That there's somebody that has knowledge from experience. I don't know, care whether they're certified or not, but like I, I would want the existence of that. I don't know then how you'd go finding them, because again, there's like so many charlatans for every probably you know <laughs> good person. But I, I value someone having knowledge and skill um, in this domain. And but it is tricky, mm-hmm. like how. Is it just because your friends network and they you got referrals and then that feels good because you trust your your friends' um, experiences? Like, do we joke about having a Yelp or something for <laughs> the shaman? Um, for shamans. <laughs> well, how did you. people
0: do it before? No, I, I, Deborah, I think that's exactly right. Like, you have friends, you you get to know somebody, you spend time. I mean, despite Benjamin joking about, hey, if there's a strip of acid on the front porch, you're just gonna do it. Like, why would you wait two years? <laughs> I I think, especially now, there's a lot of people who are in the middle, their middle age. Let's face it. The psychedelic experience is different when you're in your middle age and you're looking at death versus when you're younger and the whole world is before you who do do take time to think about, Okay, do I want to do this and how do I want to do it? And they start talking to people and it, it that's part of the whole experience. Before you even before the substance even touches your tongue, like that's part of the beginning of the journey is if you want somebody to be there with you, who is it going to be? And then, yes, going through friends. I mean, who else would you go through? You go through your trusted networks. That's that's who you go through for everything, pretty much, isn't it? You know, even like a hairdresser. Well, maybe not a hairdresser, but you
1: know what I mean? (laughs) Something you said about um, earlier about um, Jody like if you need somebody to guide you through that in that clinical kind of way, are you really ready to even do that thing that I'm kind of circling back to that because I thought that was a really well, interesting point. Cause it's like, yeah, it's you inherently can't trust a friend, right, right. Right. It's kind Maybe of an inherently unsafe thing you're doing. Cause it's mentally yeah. unsafe. What you're doing is like digging into parts of your mind that are, that you don't know what you're really going to find.
2: Well, and like so on your you, own or outside of the uh, ther- therapeutic at all. Office?
0: At okay. all. Well, yeah. if, you, if yeah. you think you need, if you're the kind of person who thinks you need the letters after the name, right, mm-hmm. to do the substance that, and you can't trust, it's almost like you can't trust yourself in a way. Well, like if you yeah. think that you need the letters, then then maybe you've got too much trust. I would on. i would
2: reverse Sorry. engineer that somebody somebody probably goes to the therapist because they have let's say just chronic depression and they're trying a therapist and the therapist says we can try this substance so you're not going to the therapist to do the substance you're going to the therapist for the problem and so the substance is already always serving the pursuit of solving the problem of depression or quitting smoking or any given thing that the therapist suggests so it's like it's the difference between trying to find prozac on the street or going to a doctor and then after he you know he he looks through what you're doing uh, then he prescribes you Prozac or we're going to the doctor and like seeking Prozac and then trying to figure out how to game him for the Prozac right True. so in the medical context the the drug is not the same as on the street or even or even like you're you're going to go on a spirit quest it's like we have a conception that this helps this problem we have trials, we have data. This is what's backed up. And so here's what we're gonna do. You're gonna trip out, we're gonna play some music, I'm gonna talk to you, I'm gonna insert some sort of racial consciousness into you that's gonna <laughs> actually solidify your <laughs> obedience to to my overlord, and then we're gonna go forth and, and you're gonna be better and we're gonna crush the powers that be, or whatever, right? <laughs> uh.
3: there's the the issue of there's the issue of if one can you making a market even or because i listened to jamie wheel talking about the psychedelics like once you become something becomes in the market and capitalism and trading and something that used to be potentially a sacred activity like what happens to it bureaucratized marketized and all of that and does it lose something by being contained in, in formulate it that way um obviously there's a lot of all the problems inherent in it but it's funny because people think they're doing it to make it all safer well it also destigmatizes
1: you know it's It's the destigmatization i think that would appeal to some people like you Mm -hmm. like the the middle-aged well i guess we're all kind of middle-aged now but um i'm saying
0: that but but let that's a good like that gets into this authority thing like yeah the authority said this is okay yes versus this is taboo yeah. so i'm not going to, well who said well, it's taboo that it's just a story it, you told yourself from it's the true. authority it's right? true
1: but like so, how how much have you internalized that story you know how much are you a bad person if you do drugs or if you but if the doctor gives it to you are you uh, is this cool. now just fine and i feel like that's really prevalent
2: and so do you think the world the uh, gen z would be better off if they were being prescribed lsd rather than testosterone exogenous <laughs> hormones do you think like there would be a Overall increase or decrease in depression, anxiety, and
0: just microdose outcomes. instead. Yeah. I, yeah, I would say microdosing. They would, they would be better off. Yes, their dysphoria but away. I
2: wonder. I wonder if somebody's done research into microdosing and dysphoria or body dysmorphia or or uh, gender dysphoria. I wonder to what degree one can align with their sense of reality, their doors of perception plugging into themselves as a female or male body can be facilitated by a psychological <laughs> rather than a
0: well, that kind of research, Benjamin, is not gender affirming and therefore hmm. probably considered transphobic. I'm just guessing. Hmm. Right? We'll see about that. That kind of implies you're exploring versus immediately yeah, yeah, affirming. Yeah, yeah. Right? So it's probably considered... I mean, we should
2: bring it to Sagam or Geta. and say, hey, why don't you guys do some psychological or psychedelic uh, trials while you're dealing with... Uh, I mean, I'm sure even WPath and EPath, acts. there's enough like... Yeah. There's enough crazies in there that would kind of embrace. uh,
1: Well, now that they've got the queering of everything, I think it would go a different way. You think? Yeah.
2: How long is the shelf life on this queering stuff, on this white fragility, this racial consciousness stuff? Does it really lead to anything other than isolation?
0: Benjamin, that's you brought up earlier about the queering stuff, like we're all sexed bodies. Yeah. Jenny Holland, sorry, just, I'm just not, she wrote an article recently about how the white fragility stuff, the, the, the CRT stuff is only really making major inroads in countries that have prosperity guilt. Thank you, Jenny, for coining that term. Nice. Uh, like the United States or the UK, you know and like other countries where people have like real problems because they aren't prosperous like it's not really making inroads but the tr- the trans stuff the 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 gender ideology stuff is like everybody is a sexed body it's like the the original other like if you go back to the beginning of time like male female no matter even if the entire tribe was all the same color like that is the one thing that we are all that affects all of us and so that is a place where major inroads as Jenny would put it that is the agenda because it affects everybody and you can kind of exploit it no matter what the culture is because there's always going to be a difference between those groups yeah as long
2: as as people have uh, what were you saying Leslie the other night about um people having sufficient like resources or the certain needs are taken care of. Like, you, you don't really, I don't see people tripping out about their gender if they're still like trying to struggling to, you know, get by.
3: Like um, unless hierarchy. those ideas.
2: Yeah. Unless those ideas are kind of in their environment, like in, like an in inner city kind of like the queering uh, the queer people of color are kind of, kind of, they see so a path toward hierarchy.
0: Girl. Yeah. Huh? So, so, well, Or, or, so or that's they the see it as a way to again, gain.
2: Like- status and power right anyway
1: i really like jenny she's really i love her writing she has a good way of oh my god i do
0: too she comes up with these terms mm-hmm. what's her name again? She, it's jenny holland jenny, jenny i would holland. love to
1: talk with I, her
0: i enjoyed meeting her in new york we should have her on the lecture oh yeah let's do Benjamin, I just went, I was in Northern Ireland a couple weeks ago and I, and Ooh. Posey Parker was there and I saw, I don't know if you know who Posey Parker is. I've been Me? following Posey Parker for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, did yeah. you talk to her?
2: We talk like every three months.
0: Oh, okay. Sorry. <laughs> I don't no, watch the video. No, it's fine. The it's fine, it's fine. I need to tune in more. I get around. <laughs> I'm,
2: I'm a bit of a, I'm a bit of a she's slut so... in this hole. Like,
0: <laughs> she's hot. She's hot stuff. She's oh yeah.
2: She's got a great milkshake, man. brings brings this boy to her yard i'll tell you that much
0: she's really cool anyway she was speaking in northern ireland in belfast and like of course i call him trans tifa was there and
2: trans tifa yeah
0: and jenny and so jenny um anyway i went with jenny and we had a good time and yeah jenny's an, an amazing writer very sharp. She's kind of like a, the love child of um Toby Young. I don't know if you know who that is. He started oh, a yeah. free, free speech union. Speech yeah, free speech union. Toby Young and Julie Burchill, who's also a, a UK writer, like a rock music critic, Bendil or Burchill. No, not Bindle. Well, maybe that too. But <laughs> Julie Birchell's more a music a music critic, and she doesn't really. She's not really in this sphere that we're in but yeah. anyway enough about it. anyway okay. jenny was positing that the gender stuff does go beyond the prosperity guilt cultures and or at least that that's the attempt and that's the agenda is because okay this race stuff isn't going to infiltrate everywhere because people in poor countries have real problems but maybe yeah. the gender stuff will maybe we can somehow exploit um some feelings of resentment I don't know in in maybe a mother who has 15 children and her husband is off having I I don't know like yeah but I can see how it might be possible even if you have you're living in a very poor culture to maybe exploit that difference somehow
2: so there's there's like national socialism and international socialism and i'm just i'm just riffing here the the crt stuff is very national socialist if you want to like Im- impose a homogeneity or a new class consciousness or whatever in order to do the whole socialist project of creating a utopia crt the race stuff is going to be really uh, very area dependent whereas the yeah. you could probably get closer to a world socialism if you if you attack the gender issue i don't know i don't know to what degree the un i know they're kind of weird with their whole gender thing and their women's thing and and all this stuff i don't see i don't know to what extent the wef utilizes race consciousness or gender consciousness but that's kind of a part of it they're more into uh like class or a classless society which is more kind of like a more high-brained uh kind of marxism
1: is isn't the um the uh comprehensive sex ed stuff coming straight out of the un that's straight from the un the comprehensive sex ed stuff
2: like like you get to see a 3d model of everybody's body (laughs) no it's
1: the it's the the sex education that starts in preschool really and it starts with talking to people about these kind of issues and and bringing up uh questioning gender to young kids and and introducing them to advanced concepts too soon and stuff like that yeah
2: yeah, if you so can alienate children from their bodies, then you can really uh, alienate them from other places. It's better uh, to do it with race this, with sex than uh, than race. If you wanted to really brainwash it,
3: I still think there's a bulwark. I think there's a bulwark in terms of how many countries are still if they're largely like a religious, you know, population or more, you know, conservative hmm. population. I think that could hit because I think the colonial the CRT kind of ties with. The colonialization or decolonized project, and that yeah. seems more likely to spread than um, people in you know countries that might be more traditionally Muslim or traditionally you know whatever, right? Like I think you're going to hit something, and they're going to be like, no. Um, so I don't know I, where you could get them on. Oh, those stupid colonizers, those horrible colonizers, regardless of your sort of degree of you know religious observance or something. Hmm. So I don't know. We'll see.
1: Well, in any mind. final thoughts, I want to maybe keep this to around an hour. Or so, what do you guys yeah. think? Any any final thoughts coming up that we didn't say?
2: Jody, uh,
3: go ahead.
2: No, 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 you, Deborah.
3: Okay, just I mean, in some ways, it doesn't surprise me. Uh, I understand, like all the alarm of the, the queer thing, because insofar as like one is removing boundaries, right? Like doing these substances is is is, is just open you completely. No limits, your identity, like everything. I mean, it's not surprising that some movement or worldview that is all this normalcy or these structures or a problem, we need to tear them all down, that they would would like be attracted to that, right? It doesn't, it doesn't surprise me. I mean, whether they can recognize the dangers of that, the people that have these, you know, maps or whatever, um, and can catch themselves, like is another story, but it it's it's resonant in some way.
1: Mm. Jody, you look like you're deep in thought.
2: I want to hear Jody's best trip.
0: <laughs> That's uh, yeah, we can have a private conversation about that. Ben. <laughs> okay,
2: offline. Um, okay.
0: I was just thinking, yeah, offline. Um, about this, the whole just the the phrase itself, queering psychedelics. Like, what the fuck does that mean? Like we're going to queer psychedelics like we're going to take this little like sugar cube with lsd and we're going to queer it no w- what are we doing we're going to queer people like what does that mean and then i mean really what does queering mean anyway like i don't know i guess making the abnormal normal right yeah yeah
3: and to some extent kind of constantly destabilizing because even at that point there'd probably be another Ratchet of explicitly that's too normal now, right?
0: Yes. Well, it's this supposition that like the use of psych. I mean, I get how it's not necessarily like we're gonna like use psychedelics and make everyone queer. Although I I think that's probably in there too. But (laughs) but it's this notion of like like we want to give more queer people the opportunity to participate in the psychedelic discussion and and use psychedelics and and as Leslie said, more providers who are helping with this facilitation of these substances and, and their use. But like, it's kind of this um, presumption that, that queer people, whatever that means have not been involved, like that psychedelic use of the, these medicines is somehow this like, in and of itself, some kind of racist or colonialist thing, mm. when anything, be, it's, it's like far from the truth. So I I, I can see the a cultural appropriation argument, even though I disagree with it, but like, um, you know, I I think it's,
2: it's also, it's a marketing term, right? Mm -hmm. These people, they, they know that there is a, you know, market overlap between drug users and people who are into queer shit. Right. So they're like advertising, (laughs) to do queer shit with drugs right and so they're going to do this and they're special they get to wear special clothing and then they get to trip out you know on their own weird like
0: come when you're when you're flipping through the phone book you should choose me because i'm queer yeah (laughs) like i'm that's like a real thing yeah that's a thing (laughs)
2: it's not it's it's not it's not even a virtue signal it's 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 a market signal
3: Mm -hmm. Mm. it's tribal
0: (laughs) But the, I thing love is, the phone
3: um, book, Jody. I love your phone book. <laughs>
0: All right. Probably, Ooh. I mean, I'm Gen X. I know what a phone book is. No, I know. Same, right? My kids are going to be like, what the fuck is a phone book? <laughs> <laughs> it's
2: Google, Google, and Google. Okay. Yeah. Google. Google. Yeah. yeah.
1: Google. All right. Benjamin, any final thoughts from you?
2: Um, no, it was, uh, it was thought stimulating. Um, sad that we didn't get more stories. Uh, Leslie, Leslie, we only heard about your bad trip. We didn't hear about your good trips, but um, it's interesting. I, I think that these these things are, are novel. Um, I don't know to what extent. Well, I guess we have constantly brought up the fact that it's kind of... Uh, uh, malef- maleficent force, This whatever this thing called wokeness is, it it always tends to limit things. It always tends to speak to certain aspects of the personality that uh, and otherwise are maladaptive, like narcissism, borderline personality, and so on and so forth. So insofar as it's not cool, insofar as it becomes more and more cringe, and insofar as people understand it to to be a signal of cringe and bad, just bad acting, not even bad actors or just like lame kind of people... Um, it will be less prominent. It'll less, it'll have less authority and it will lose It'll have less steam and it's uh, taking over or centering itself in any given organization and stuff. So, you know, like we've all worked with or are aware of people who are trying to work on an uh, institutional or organizational level to um, either purge or protect any given organization from queerness, the CRT stuff. But it ultimately, it diverts attention away from something that could be very beneficial and kind of like, like it 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 aims it in a certain direction that i personally don't believe is all that terribly productive so that's
0: so hopeful
1: yeah i mm-hmm. like that there's an expiration
0: date right i <laughs> i, I see so. the young children because i'm around young children because i have sons and yeah they're, they're
2: like no nah, yeah yeah,
0: yeah. cringe yeah. to them and that's very hopeful to me i'm like it's
2: fake oh, and gay really and, and and a certain <laughs> g-h-e-y um
0: G H E Y, yes. yes, 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 yes. <laughs> well, I
1: think we should talk about that next time or soon. We should talk about the expiration date of woke and mm-hmm. what's going to kill it. The yeah,
0: that'd be hopeful. That's hopeful.
1: Mm-hmm. That's hopeful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you guys so much. And thanks for everybody who joined us in the chat. Andrew Joyner, thank you so much for the super chat. It's really sweet. And I hope you all have a great week. Thanks I'm for joining. Oh,
2: yeah. Thanks. thanks for having me. It's great. It's fun.